Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Several years ago, Tony Campola wrote a book about Christianity, and I don't want you to miss that. It's a book about Christianity. It's about God's people. It's about the church. The book was entitled, Who Switched the Price Tags? Now, he tells a story of a time that he and his best friend, when they were young, decided to break into a basement of a local five-and-dime store. And their plan wasn't to steal anything. They simply wanted to change the price tags on everything in the store. So get the picture. They imagined customers arriving and discovering that radios are now selling for a quarter and bobby pins for $5. Tony writes, with diabolical glee, We wondered what it would be like when nobody could figure out what the prices of things really should be. Now, of course, we know what the result was. It was chaos. It was conflict, at least for the store owner and the employees, right? But for the customers, for a moment, this was like awesome. Like talk about the best deals until they found out the truth, right? But the fact of the matter is it would be conflict It would be chaos. Now listen, we all know that in a store, the price tags, they tell us of the value of what we want to buy, correct? But if someone switches the price tags, it's hard to know how valuable something really is, correct? Mm -hmm. Now don't miss this, because I contend this not only happens in the physical world when it comes to common goods, I believe it happens in the spiritual world when it comes to people's relationship with God. Now, now let me help you with this. The Bible says that God paid a high price. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, God paid a high price for us so we're not to be enslaved by the world. And yet we are because of price tag switching. Now, I'm going to help you with that in just a moment. But I want to say this before I help you with this. There are no good deals when it comes to Christianity. Now, I want to say this again. There is no bargain shopping when it comes to Christianity. There is just one deal. It is the big deal. It is the real deal. And there's no other deals. And that deal is Jesus Christ. Amen to that? Now, it's important you catch this. But price tag switching happens all the time. And every time it does, it creates dishonest value, if you will. It confuses people. It confuses us as well. And the end result is always conflict. It's chaos. And it gets us in trouble. Would you agree? Absolutely. Let me try to put this in more, if you will, real crystal clear sense from biblical stories. For instance, Adam and Eve... They ate the forbidden fruit. God said, don't eat it. But they did. They thought they could switch the price tag. You see how it works? So they thought they could. And they ended up losing everything for the exchange of what? Shame, suffering, death. How about Lot's wife? God himself literally was destroying Sodom, but she looks back. God said, don't look back. God made it crystal clear what the price was. Don't look back, but she did. And why? Because she wanted to look back at a home of what she could not keep but wanted to, and in that one look, it cost her everything. Price tags. How about Achan? He stole a garment of gold from Jericho, a garment he could not wear, silver and gold he could not spend. When God said, do not do it, do not take anything, but they thought they could switch the price tag and it cost him his life. You see how it works? One more, how about Demas, a companion of Paul? Here's a friendship, a relationship, but somewhere in the midst of it, He thought he could have something better, and he chose the world, tried to switch the price tag, 
and it cost him everything. It cost him his life. It happens all the time. And what did Jesus say? What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Do you know what Jesus is talking about? Price tags. He's talking about trying to switch price tags to get the better deal. And I'm going to say it again. There are no better deals in Christianity. There are no negotiations. Are you with me on this? There's just one deal. It's the big deal. It's the real deal. There's no other deals. That's why Jesus said, I'm the way. And so we can't switch price tags, and this is what we're going to talk about. So if you got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to James chapter 4. If you're new to us, we've been walking through the book of James verse by verse. We're in chapter 4, and we're going to begin in the very first verse. And I want to walk you through it as we talk about price tag switching and why we need to understand what it really means to understand what God set the value at, and that's the price we pay we don't try to negotiate. We don't try to barter. We don't try to change it. That's what it is. We know what it is, and we're obedient to it, and everything then is better. But James is going to tell us how conflicts happen. He's going to talk about price tags. And so if you got your Bibles, James chapter 4, the very first verse, we're just going to start there. Here's what it says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Can I give you the answer? Price tag switching. That's what we're talking about. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? I want you, if you'd like to circle something, circle that word within. Now, I want to say this. We all have three basic desires. Every one of us. And they're God-given desires. These are not bad desires. These are good God-given desires. They only become bad when we think we can switch the price tag. You see how it works? Anytime you take God's number one, okay, and think you can switch the price tag, you're gonna experience number two, okay? You see how it works, all right? So here's the first one, the first desire. Let me show you what I'm talking about. The first desire is the desire to have. Verse two, look what it says. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. Those are powerful words. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight. There's the conflict. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. I want, to, I want you to listen to this again. It's not a sin to have. It only becomes a sin when it becomes a want. It's not a sin to have. And let me show you what happens. See, the moment you turn it into want, you will start loving things and using people rather than using things and loving people. You see how that happens? It's not wrong to have. It's all of a sudden when those has become a want and a need and you're willing to sacrifice to get that. It's just stuff. The most important thing to God is what? Relationships. Okay? Here's the second one. The desire to feel. Okay? Verse 3 says this. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want, there it is again, you want only what will give you pleasure. Now again, let me say this. To enjoy things isn't wrong. The Bible actually says in 1 Timothy, it says God made everything for our enjoyment everything for our enjoyment. It's just when we get the equation reversed, it becomes a problem. See, the problem is when my pleasure takes the place over God's purposes. It's when my want is more important than his will. Now we got a problem. Here's the third desire, okay? It's the desire to be. The desire to be. Everybody wants to be something, don't they? What is that old statement? You know, 
To be is not to be. Yeah. That's the question. I have no clue what that even means. But, but I'll give you the answer. To be is found in he. You with me on that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We all want to be something. We all want to be someone. But we find that something, that someone in Christ. It's when we get the equation reversed and we think we can do it ourselves. You know, Donald Miller said it this way. Billions of people live in the world. And somehow I can only muster thoughts for one, me. And that is so true, isn't it? We live in such a me world. We live in such an entitled world. What can I get? I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Anyone wrapped up in himself makes for a very small package in life. Like a really small package. Proverbs 13 says this, pride leads to arguments. You know what pride is? When it's all about you. That's what pride is. We say it all the time. What's the middle letter? I. I, I, I want to say this, and I want you to listen to this. Everybody I've met who is self-absorbed, typically they experience what I call a diminished life, and I've never seen them achieve anything of great worth. Never. I never have. That's why James says this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humbled. That's in verse six, you can just see it. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let me just say this. The word oppose here means that God opposes the proud. He will actively fight against you. When you have pride, I am not your, your enemy. I'm not your foe, God is. The Bible literally says God will fight against the pride, prideful, but he offers grace to the humbled. Now we're going to talk about that, and I want us to talk about these, but I want to set it up by saying this. I mentioned to you these three desires. The desire to have, it's a good desire. It's only when it turns and becomes a want, and we flip the equation. You with me? The second desire is the desire to feel. God wants us to enjoy everything. I've made this statement many times that, that sex, we, we like to talk about sex in this church. Sex is a beautiful thing when it's under the umbrella of what God set forth. Outside of it, it's called sin. Now, I want to come back to that in a minute. And then this desire to be. When we try, when we try to make a name for Christ, we'll always win. When we try to make a name for ourselves, we're in trouble. But I want to jump into this a little bit because it's that, that thing that I just said that, that we talk about sex here. And, and most often we'll talk about it outside of marriage and it becomes a focus and, and I still believe it's wrong because the Bible is very clear. But what about when we talk about bitterness? People in the church who've been hurt. And I'm not saying you haven't been hurt. But they nurse it. They rehearse it. They don't release it. And somehow, you know, we, we want to compare. We want to get into those where, you know, well, I'm not doing that. And so somehow God's okay with a bitter heart. I, I don't understand it. We say we love Jesus, but the cross is not big enough to remove your grudge and your pain and your hurt and your... What about greed? I mean, we're flipping the equation. I, I, I say it all the time. Tithing isn't about money. It's about trust. And people wonder why. I don't understand this country. I, I, you would think that the greatest givers in the world would be Americans. And globally, in a lot of ways, we're some of the worst. And then COVID comes along and you watch people holding on to stuff, a stuff that isn't gonna, it isn't gonna help you anyway. It happens all the time. But, but there's another. What about gossip? How many Christians share things via the internet? And there's not one verse in the Bible that will even justify that. We don't do that. We don't, we don't put things out here that the world can see that would even sound negative against a brother or a sister. 
And we wonder why there's conflict. We wonder why there's chaos. James is right, isn't he? See, I believe every time someone puts something out here, that's not the evidence of an event. That's the evidence of your heart. Because when there's peace here, there's peace here. And that stuff happens at an alarming rate, and it really concerns me. Not just as a church, but as a brother, as a sister in Christ. This is not who Jesus is. We're known by our love for one another. And that's what James is getting at. See, we're switching price tags. We're justifying, well, you don't know what so-and-so did to me. And God's going, wait a minute, don't be turning the price tag. Nothing in the Bible says that. You don't worry about what other people have done to you. You look at what Jesus gave you and what Jesus did. Does that make sense? So with all this being said, as I'm sharing, what's going through your heart? What's going through your mind right now? For me, you know, because of the nature of my job, I'm a correctional officer and I have to straddle that line because it's very, very easy to become where it's become bitter because not because of something that's done to you, but because what you perceive that someone else has done to them. It's like someone else has done, committed a crime, so you can feel bitter because, oh, wait, this person committed this crime, so I'm just going to be bitter against them. For another reason, I don't know them personally, and I don't know them anything about this situation, about what happened, but I'm just going to be bitter because they're an inmate and they're behind bars and anything like that, and not think of them as my brother or my sister or my, you know, aunt and uncle. And so I have to straddle that line and say, wait a minute, step back. They are your brother. They are your sister. You know, they are somebody's mother. They are somebody's father. They are somebody's aunt, uncle. No matter what they did, no matter what, they, what they've done or whatever. So I have to really, really step back and remember, am I treating this person the way I would want to be treated? Am I humbling myself in front of this person? You know, just to be the light to them because they may not have had that light which is what caused them to do whatever they did. So, and that's what it kind of means to me. I appreciate the thought process of switching the price tags because I know in my life, uh, I've certainly done that, but when I reflect, I've allowed the enemy to do it to me. I, he's, I've allowed him to take my price tag of being, you know, infinite value and flip over that I'm worthless or unlimited potential and that no, and so because of that, then I, I have to, you know, take things from other people or I compare myself to other people and that they're more than I am and, and all the stuff you just talked about because I've allowed the enemy to do that, that to me. And so now I have to take value from other people. I have to compare myself and, and steal, in essence, identity from them because I've lost my identity. He flipped it on me. I've allowed it. I really like that word. Um, and I, I totally agree with that. And um, I think... When we don't, we don't know who we are or we're not listening to God, then that's when pride can really come in. And like you said, we have to make ourselves. Like, for instance, with the, um, the bitterness, then you're just trying to win. You know, you want to be the one that's right. And that's pride. You know, it's all about me. Or with the gossip, you're trying to make yourself be above the other person because you don't know your worth. And so those things are really steeped in pride. And I, I really think that if, if we can humble ourselves, like God's been teaching me this, you humble yourself and pray as God's people, then things will change. And it needs to start with me, you know, each person. And I think we don't, we don't place a high value on, on what God did for us. We, we, we cheapen really, what did God really do for us by giving us his son? We don't understand the, the huge price tag that was. And we flip them. I think what it's amazing what God did on the cross is that we don't have to pay that price that God already paid that price for us. And I think of the show Deal or No Deal and how that's the question God asks us when he paid the price for us is, are you going to take this deal or are you going to take no deal? And I think that's what the question God asks us. Yeah, I think we're, I think we is, our nature is to be afraid of prices. I think we look at the price God paid for us and 
because we tend to lean towards pride. We're, we're afraid to look at that. We don't want to acknowledge that because that forces us to humble ourselves. And then we look at the price that we pay when it comes to sin, like Adam and Eve, the price that, that costed, the cost that came out of choosing that fruit, choosing disobedience towards God has impacted all the way to us today. We don't want to look at that cost. Sometimes we try and weigh it out. Is it worth it for me to sin in this moment? And the reality is it's never worth it. The reality is God's way and not sinning is always more rewarding than that moment of gratification that we can experience. And with that being said, that's what we want to look at now. I mean, the causes, we're trying to always flip tags, aren't we? There's something we want and we're thinking, okay, God's going to be okay with this. And, and okay, I can, I can fudge a little bit on this. Or, I, okay, that's a little compromise, but at least it's not this. And, and we're playing that all the time. How do we change the tag? How do we do that? But when it comes to God, the price is already set. I, I like to say it this way. God and Christianity is not a garage sale. It's a God sale. It's deal or no deal. That's all it is. You always find it interesting. Garage sales are the most amazing anomaly to me. You know, you pay 100 bucks for something. You use it twice. You put it in a garage sale. And you know, and you stick a, I mean, you, you literally are throwing it away. And you put a buck on it. And some person pulls up with a Mercedes and says, I'll give you a quarter. You kidding me? <laughs> is it just crazy? But I think it's an evidence if you will, of something that may be deeper. Now, I recognize part of that is just negotiation and doing that, and, and in some ways there's, a, there's some wisdom in that, right? But I think in life we do that a lot, don't we? We do it in the church. And so James gives us, he gives us, if you will, the understanding that we don't need to switch the tags, and we cannot, and we should not. But he gives us a step, step-by-step -step understanding of what something is really worth and its value if you will, and, and if you do these, you won't have conflict. When you understand, it comes from within you. These three desires that we have, it starts there. That, that's why we say, when I have a conflict with somebody, whether it's my children, my spouse, or a friend, I, I recognize, despite the fact in a moment of this, somewhere in, I'm gonna have to step back and realize it, it really starts here. I, I've always said it this way, no one can make you angry unless you give them permission. I mean, we can point all we want, but Karen, you're right on. It starts here, and James helps us understand it. The conflict started here. So what are the steps that we need to take? Well, here's the first one that James says. Submit. Look at verse 7. This is an important time in Scripture as we look at, you know, uh, how do we understand the value of something and we stay away from conflict. He says, verse 7, submit yourself before God. Submit. Now, I, I want to say this, and I want you to listen to this very carefully. It is one thing to let go of your past. It is a whole nother thing to let God have your future. Now, let me say it again. It's one thing to let go of your past. But it's a whole different world when you let God have your future. Let me say it this way. We have got to come to a place when it comes to submission where we quit trying to run our own life. Again, price takes. We're trying to negotiate with God. Okay? We've got to quit trying to run our life. We've got to quit trying to think that we know what's best. We don't. The Bible says there's a way that you think. It's not good. In fact, the Bible says it'll always lead to death. So we've got to quit thinking we know what's best. We got to quit thinking we're God. Because that's really the issue. The conflict in the world is not here. The conflict in the world is right here. The Bible says it very clearly. The battle is not between you and man. This is a spiritual battle. It's much deeper. The conflict is here. We're not God. Let me put it in another context, and this will get very, very, very specific. If God is not driving your car, he is not in the car. That's right. That's right. 
I am certain of this in my life. Yep. There'll never be a moment that I'm driving the car and pull up and God will get in for Keith Loy's joyride. Because he already knows the price of that. And that's not a good price. That's not a sacrifice he's going to make. He did not leave his throne of glory to get into the car and with me for a joyride. He left his throne of glory to come down and drive the car because he knew where he could take that. We need to get this. That's what submission is all about. But we don't like the word submission. We like the word partnership, don't we? <laughs> we don't like the word submission. Because see, with a partnership, it's sort of 50-50. As if somehow in the moment of our relationship, God's going to sit down with me and he's going to go, Keith, what do you think? He already knows what I think. The mind of man is not the mind of God. The mind of man leads to death. That's the price. And so he wants us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds to have his thoughts. That's why he gave us the word, by the way. That's the beautiful thing about it. Listen to this very carefully. You might want to write this down. God does not owe me. God owns me or not. See, John 3, in the message, it reads this. Unless a person submits to this original creation, unless a person submits to this original creation, then he describes it. You know, the wind hovering over the water creator, the invisible moving the invisible creator, a baptism into a new life creator. Here's what he says. It is not possible to enter God's kingdom. Submission. God don't have no partnership. He doesn't owe us. He wants to own us. And so my question is, are you submitted? Like in everything in your life, does he truly have it all? And I'm going to say it again. Nothing is negotiable with God. There's no bartering. This isn't a garage sale. This is a God sale. First step is submission. Talk to me. I think when people hear submission, they think weakness. And I, and I think that's the more or less the issue. They think it's being weak instead of just it's not weakness, it's a sign of strength, actually. You know, to submit yourself to God. But like most people, they, they submit to his submission, it's, it's weakness. So I mean, I'm just kneeling down and I'm giving up. They, that's what they think. And I think that's what most people think. They just think that I'm giving up and when I submit, but it's not giving up. It, actually, it is giving up, but it's giving up to God instead of giving up. But what you gain. You give back, you get back exactly right. I love those words, Mike. I think it's great right on that it's not an act of weakness, it's an act of strength, because that's where it comes from. That's beautiful. But we have to, we have this thing in us that we have to figure it out and we have to get the credit for it. And it's like, I, I'll, I'll get to this so many times where there'll be some dilemma and I'm doing everything I can to try and figure it out, doing everything I can to solve the problem and only when I get to the very end and realize that I've tried everything I can possibly try and nothing's working, and then I think, I never allowed God to work this situation out. And then we come to this place where we, God, please help me. And then you have to apologize because I should have submitted this to you from the very beginning. But God loves to show me those. I, I think God uses those moments to show me that, okay, you just realize that it's not about you and it's not about you getting the credit for it. It's about me submitting to me from the beginning. Because we love to brag about our deals. We love to negotiate, but then we love to brag about the great deal we got. And we do that in, in all areas, including God. I mean, you guys are getting married in a few days and you guys have done it so right, but I see so many people, okay, I want God's blessing in a great marriage, but I'm gonna negotiate all the things 
that his word says about it. And nah, I mean, not at all. I mean, the word is real simple, obey. And I, there's a phrase I heard recently that says, if, if, if we don't live by non-negotiables, then everything's negotiable. Everything in our life will be. It's either obey or not. I really like what you said, Michael. And I think when it comes to submission, we so easily see it as weakness. Like you said, we see it as isolation or vulnerability, but the, re the reality is that we, we flip that around and God actually wants our submission to lead to intimacy, to being closer with him, to deepening that relationship. So step one, we submit. Here's step two, James gives us, if we're gonna understand value and stay away from conflict, it's resist. Submit yourself before God. Don't just submit to anything. Submit yourself before God, but then resist the devil, verse 7, and he will flee from you. So we submit and then we resist. Now, I find this interesting because why in the world would James tell us to resist if in the first place we submitted to God? We would think by the very act of that, that would naturally happen. But the answer is found in the word resist. It's actually a war term, and it means be prepared. Now, I want you to listen to this, because anyone of success knows that preparation is the secret. Success doesn't happen just by chance and luck. That's a myth, okay? It just doesn't work that way. If, by the way, failing to prepare will always put you at a disadvantage in life. Preparation is the key. And I think this is why so many of God's children struggle, why they stumble, why they have issues. They fail to realize that the devil actually does seek out to destroy. That's what he's all about. And they're not prepared for it. They've got this whole idea uh, about who God is with not understanding that there's another player in the game. And, and I want to help you with this. See, this is why Jesus said in Matthew 24, understand this, he says, if the owner of the house had known, Jesus is speaking here, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. It's preparation. It's realizing I don't get up and have a devotional because it's the right thing to do. By spending time with God, I'm in preparation of recognizing when the temptations come. Do you see what I'm talking about? We're in a battle. That's what Paul says. That's why it's a war term, to be prepared. See, contrary to theory, the devil does not wear red underwear and hold on to a pitchfork. Do you know why? it'd be too easy to spot. And I think that's why a lot of God's children get into trouble. See, the devil dabbles in your pride. Are you ready for this? And more into your wounded pride. See, he's gonna tell you what you want to hear. Like when you're out and you have the credit card and you don't have the funds to back up the credit card, but you think you need it. And he takes the have into a want. And he says, listen, it's only 3,000 easy payments, <laughs> you know, at 20% interest. Um, you know, and he tells you sweet little nothings that turn into big juicy somethings. He always makes it bigger. He is so slick and sly at what he does. And we're not prepared for it. And so as you said, Reed, okay, I, I, I mean, I love this person and, and we're getting married. God knows that it's okay to, I mean, it's just sex. I mean, he'll forgive us. Well, then we'd tear another page out of the Bible where it says flee immorality. Do you know what immorality is? Sex before marriage. By the way, sex in marriage is a sin too when you use your wife or use your husband to get your needs met and not fill them for their needs. And they become a piece of property. But that's another whole message. 
But that's what Satan does. Because we're not, we're not ready. And so we're sound asleep. We're numb to it. We're not being obedient to the word. So we're not resisting the devil. And in the middle of the night, he breaks into the house and we weren't ready. And I see it happening in the church all the time. I see it on this. The Bible's very clear. You go to your brother in private and you make it right. You're about a solution, not a problem. But when soon as you go public, you involve people that don't need to be and you make God's name look bad. And, and that's, again, the devil. Something rises up and we quickly respond, or better said, react, rather than doing what the Word said, to first pray. You see how that works? Here's what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians. In order that Satan might not outwit us, we are not unaware of his schemes. You know what he's saying? We're prepared. We submitted to God and we become students of the evil one that we know how he works so we can stand against him. What's going on in your minds? I was thinking about um, with Adam and Eve and the, what they did with the tree and all. Um, the devil really changed the price tag on that because God said, you will surely die. It was a big price tag. And then the devil said, you will not surely die. I mean, he twisted it, you know? And we just have to make sure that, like you said, we're in the word, like really seeking in the word. And we, we need to know what God says so that when those really small, kind of sort of twisted things come into our minds, we will know, no, God said this, and be able to resist it. I relate it to music. As musicians, we understand that um, we can watch somebody play something and it seems so effortless and it seems like they just came up with something and it sounds so good, but we don't realize the amount of hours and time and work that's spent behind doors that's not on a stage that goes into that. And that's, that's the time that we spend in the Word where we know we get to spend the time to really know God and really to know His voice and to know the truth. I've heard it say this way that the birthmark of a believer is a bullseye, that when we give our lives to Christ and we're born again, Everything that God does in our life, the devil is going to be one step behind and trying to attack us. And in one part of the Bible, the Bible says the devil is a roaring lion. And it says in that chapter also that we should resist the roaring lion. And I think that's interesting because if a roaring lion was coming at me, I think I would run. That would be in my natural instinct. But with God's strength, he tells us to resist and be prepared for the lion to come and attack us. I love that. The birthmark of a believer is a bullseye. So true. If we could learn that, we wouldn't be so shocked when we got shot at. You know? <laughs> in, in athletics, we know this, the teams uh, on the field is just a, 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 a reaction to what happened in the practice. We know that. And so in the enemy, when the enemy comes, how we respond to it, it simply shows what we've done in practice. That's all it does, if we're prepared or not. You know, somebody does something, and if, I go, if I'm quick to anger, really quick to anger, I haven't prepared for it. Because that's not the issue. I didn't prepare. Here's step three. So we, we first submit to God. We resist the devil. We be prepared. We understand he's going to come. But step three is trust. You know, Isaiah 26, 3 says this, God will keep him in perfect peace, all those who trust in him. But then he explains what that trust looks like. And here's the secret. Whose thoughts turn often to the Lord. Thoughts turn often to the Lord. That's what trust is. You see, I've, I've learned this. When people have conflict, it's always because they're not spending time with God. People have perpetual conflict, have a great neglect of spending time with God. 
Look what James says. Verse 8, for when you draw close to God, God will draw close to you. The word intimate was used here. That's what God desires, this intimate relationship. When we draw close to God, wow, God is on the scene. Listen to what Deuteronomy says. If you faithfully obey the commands, how are we supposed to obey? Faithfully, often. If we faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today to love the Lord God and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul, listen to what it says. I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. I always call this a Popeye verse. Okay, uh, I, will provide, <laughs> I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle and you will eat and be satisfied, satisfied, trust. We know the old hymn, trust and obey. There's no other way to be truly happy, to be truly joyful in Jesus. You gotta trust, you gotta obey. Do we really trust? And by the way, the evidence of your submission is in that trust. So in submitting to God, I am surrendering all that I have. I'm not in partnership. He owns me. And I become a student understanding there's evil in the world. And the more that I, I am submitted, and I've, I've done that with God, and I'm, I'm learning who the enemy is, the trust in God becomes more that revelation. That when, when adversity happens, you won't stop and go, what in the world's going on? You understand real quickly what's going on. And I know exactly who I'm going to put my trust in. You see how that works? So we first admit who we're not. That's what submission is, okay? Guess who we're not? We're not God, all right? That's what it means to be submission. Then we acknowledge who the devil is. That's what it means to be prepared. We have to acknowledge and know who he is. But then we abide to what God says because that's what it means to trust, all right? Now, we're going to wrap this up in a minute, and uh, you've already given away the incredible answer to this, Karen, and I love it, but, but what's going through your mind right now when you think about trust? I was in a situation here probably a month ago where I was trying to handle the situation on my own. I was doing everything on my own and wasn't working out. It just wasn't working out. So one day I said, you know, just, just give it to God. I said, God, you got you to handle this for me because what I'm doing is not working, obviously. And sure enough, a week later, the situation was taken care of. Because I put that trust, once I put that trust in him, he took care of it. Because I was trying to handle this on my own, I was doing all this and this, and it wasn't working out. And I was getting frustrated and frustrated and frustrated until I finally submitted and said, hey, God, I can't do this. And once I did that, okay, okay, Mike, I got this. And sure enough, it, it happened. And I was just like, you know. As I, and as I was resolving the situation, I was going to, I was like, you know what? I didn't think this was going to happen today, but you know who did? God did. He knew it was going to happen. I didn't think it was going to happen, but he knew it was going to happen. And I realized that afterwards. I was like, thank you. And I praised, thank you. And said, you're right, God. I, I had to submit to you for this to happen. Any area of my life that I negotiate in means I don't trust. Whether that's on, well, tithe or not tithe, you know, uh, Whatever the situation is, you know, any any obedience to this, if I if I negotiate it all, I don't trust. I mean, that's how it comes to me. I see this through parenting a lot. In fact, just recent, recently, where I think, as an example, we all want to know the whys, or we need to have an explanation, and that's the cool mystery about God is that. Um, that we need to, tr having a trust means that we don't have to know why or have an explanation or even have to be involved with it. Um, you know, simply trust me. Know that this is what you're supposed to do and that's it. And um, it's hard to do sometimes. As I see through children too, it's like, why? Or explain this to me. And it's like, okay. I think I can get a glimpse of what God is maybe trying to explain to me. Is You don't have to know. Just trust me. Just do what this says. 
I'm reminded of a quote by A.W. Tozer, and he said, how satisfying to turn from our limitations to a God who has none. And I just think that that's what it's all about, is releasing this illusion of control that we have in our minds. And we don't actually hold anything, but releasing that over to God, and that's when we start to see him break all those boundaries and do those things we could have never done on our own. I think in submission, too, when I'm not submitted, sometimes my motivations are wrong. It's really about me. But um, when I submit, then I start to watch what God is doing. And he does more than I could have imagined because I was thinking about myself, but he's thinking about everybody else and all these other people that are going to be blessed and how he's going to be glorified by it. Well, here's that final step as we're wrapping this up. And it's what Karen said early on. Humility. Be humbled. You see, we submit to God. He owns us. We give him everything. We resist the devil. We trust God, but we have to stay humbled. I've said it before. If you're humble, you won't stumble. It's that simple. See, the best way up is always to first start being down before God. It's always the best thing. It's why Jesus, I believe, said, pick up your cross daily, because I need to be reminded daily who I'm not. Because I can drift, especially in this world today. But here's what I've learned. I want you to listen to these words. Humbled people reconcile instead of retaliate. Truly humble people, they always want to reconcile. They, re they, they just don't retaliate. They will ask questions and listen before having to talk and be heard. They just want to understand. Humble people make other people heroes at the expense of their own spotlight. Humble people have conviction, not cockiness. They take on discomfort so others can benefit. That's what Jesus said. No greater love that you'd lay down your life. Lay down being humble. They make people feel safe. You think about that. Someone that you know that's quite humble. You just like being around him. It's like you, you feel like nothing could do him any harm. Uh, they're not afraid to say, I'm sorry. They're just not. And this is what James is talking about. That's why he concludes with the, just a few verses here, 8, 9, and 10. Look what it says. He says, wash your hands, purify your hearts. It's, a, it's an act of humility. See, our hands represent our conduct. What he's saying is, clean up your act. That's what humble people do. They realize, wow, I need something bigger than myself, you know? And they just want to make it right with God. He says in verse 9, they, they let their tears, okay? They let them flow for the wrong that they've done. In other words, they're sorry about any and anything that they've ever done that's self-centered, any mistake they've made. They own up to it. That's what they do. But look at verse 10. He says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. These are surefire steps that you will stop trying to negotiate. You'll stop trying to switch the price tags because every time you do, you're going to have conflict. In relationship, when you think you can negotiate, you're going to have conflict. You're just going to have conflict. We can't do that with God. He set the price. He gave us the word. And he said, listen, you trust this. It'll work. God's word. That's why David said what? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light into my, my, path, my path. He says, and I hide it in my heart that I would never sin against it. They're sure. They're right. Blessed is the one who hungers for the word, who meditates, devotes it, who keeps it at the forefront of their mind, who teaches it to their children. Thy word, that's what God said, that you, I desire obedience. And so when we submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and realize that we're warriors, we need to know his schemes, we need to understand how he works, we need to be prepared always to do battle, because we never know when it's going to come, Right? but we keep trusting in God. We spend time with him and we stay humbled. 
It's a sure win. And I will assure you, a lot of the conflict, it'll go away. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, wow, you are so, so good. And I'm praying right now that if people are listening, that, Lord, if there's any defensiveness, that you would remove that right now. God, I think that's a way that you're piercing our hearts with your goodness. That you're wanting to speak into our lives in ways that we need to listen. God, there's too much conflict among the children of God within the walls of the church. There's too much price tag switching that's going on. We always seem to be trying to negotiate, trying to get a better deal. And there are no better deals in Christianity. There's just one deal, your deal. And God, I pray right now that we have a spirit of brokenness, a spirit that says, God, I want to be right with you. A spirit of willing to look at themselves in reflection and to own up. As James just said, that we would purify our hearts, that we'd want to cleanse our conduct, that we'd be truly broken for the things that we've done wrong. God, our, our job isn't to fix anyone else's life. It's to surrender our own and let you have your way. So God, we say thanks in advance, believing great things that your word will go forth. It'll never return void. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.